0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com.
1: Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, September 12th. 2023, always so good to be back in the studio, Heritage Radio Network studio at Roberta's Pizza, Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So big shout out to Roberta's Pizza. Thanks so much for supporting us all these years, going on 15 years of Heritage Radio Network, and it's our 14th season of Beer Sessions Radio. So we're in the studio here at Roberta's Pizza, and we're going to be talking a little bit about rice and sake and uh, koji and things like that. I'll just have our guests introduce themselves, because it's really their show, and they're going to talk about
3: All right, I'm Shinobu Kato from Katosake Works, and uh, I'm a sake brewer. And I'm Pete Langell Fushimi, and I'm not a sake
4: brewer, I'm a beer brewer, currently at Rockaway Brewing in uh, Long Island City.
1: So we, we've we've had these guys on before a few times over the years, and it's, it's always my pleasure to, to, to dive deeper into fermentation and... and the, the inner workings of what makes what's in our glass so good. Um, but let's start with, with Shinobu. So a few years ago, it was like 2019. We we went when you were just opening uh, your your first little 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 sake brewery, and we got to drink some sakes And we've had you on since then. But a lot of things have changed. You've 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 expanded and opened a bigger place. Just just in the same neighborhood, but a little further away in Troutman. Um, so let's talk about. That's those steps, like you had your brewery, it was COVID, and now you're bigger.
3: Sure. So I think the time that you came to our original location was right before our soft opening. I think we had our counters barely set up with our you know, plywood or something like that. Oh, uh, And then we went ahead and then opened and COVID happened as you mentioned. So we were there for three years, uh, never opened as a top room, but just brewing and bottling. Uh, but thanks to the local neighborhood uh, and, then you know, like uh, communities like Robelta's, oh we got enough sales to survive throughout those years. And at some point, we reached to the capacity because you've seen how small that space was, you know, like 400 square feet like a studio apartment size. It
1: was like a cute little cafe. (laughs)
3: Yes. Yes, actually there is a cafe right now next door So yeah, so that's around time that we started thinking that hey, we may need to have a bigger space and uh, Construction and then everything of course took like over a year But now we have a new space on Trackman a little bit bigger than what we had and we have a functioning top room so
1: That's great so in, in those steps, like you know, we, we've talked a lot about with brewers and brewery owners about what they go through when they're when they're building a brewery and the equipment they're getting. You know, where did you source your equipment from? Most Asaki a is it Asaki Brewery? Is that what you call it?
3: Yeah, we call it sake brewery is because beer is probably the closest cousin. Oh, but we get most of the equipment from the beer equipment companies. Oh, it's too expensive or not realistic to get everything from Japan, right? Oh. So we we get most like stainless steel shiny stuff from the west coast, and then everything else we either DIYed or try to repurpose something else. Oh uh, yeah, I still remember that when I was sourcing a new bigger tank, uh, Pete, and then I had a kind of quick text, and then I told Pete that I'm so scared to buy this big stuff. And Pete told me that, hey, but it's probably more scary if you don't buy a good <laughs> man. So that was a good, like, a you know, mentorship, I guess. Hey, that's
1: a good intro, Pete. So what, what what equipment was he talking about? Do you remember?
4: Oh, uh, I don't, you know, actually, I remember a third location. It's, you know, I went to the very first kind of proof of concept location. Um, so I've seen him grow like three times now, I think. So um, that was probably the new equipment you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, in beer and, and probably socket production, anything, producing a product, if you don't have the right capacity and if you don't have the right correctly sized equipment, then you're going to get stuck. You're going to just be like treading water where you're just not actually bringing in enough revenue to grow or to even barely stay alive. And if you have undersized equipment and you have the sales, then you're just, spending a ton on payroll, you just got so much manpower, or woman power to produce your product, all your money is going to payroll. So, you know, we always have to keep in mind it's a business too and uh, the equipment is a big, something that you really have to consider, it's a big factor in the success of your business, properly sized equipment for your goals. And you also have to, you need a business plan, you need a plan, like this is how much we're going to produce, this is the split for taproom and, and distro and export or this or that and like, so equipment um, makes your life a lot easier. <laughs> if, especially coming from home brewing to professional brewing. I remember I was like terrified to to produce beer on a professional system, and I know so many brewers are trying to tiptoe into it and like get the right equipment. Actual professional brewing equipment makes it so much easier to produce beer and get it at the right size. It takes the same basically the same amount of effort to produce 50 barrels as it does to make five barrels of beer. And if you're making 50 barrels on a five-barrel kit, that's 10 times as much effort and payroll.
1: Maybe cute. My two cents. Because <laughs> you're tired, too. Yeah. <laughs> and Shinobu, so yeah. you started out, what was that first proof of concept? Was it in your home, or were you, did you actually have a we? A yeah, store?
3: yeah, that time I had a different partnership. And then, yes, uh, actually we came here when Steve Hindi was here, oh, yeah, right. That was the first time. But at the time, I was working on the proof of concept near the Barclays Center, but it's not open and then, you know, doors shut down, the window is splayed so that nobody knows that we are making sake there.
1: Is that a siren I hear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then so with the, the jump to the new one. So Troutman, I mean, it's a cool area and it, you can take, the, I know the L train for J- the Jefferson stops, so always convenient. Um, but what equi- I'm trying to get out of you what equipment did you have to buy this is what I want to hear like, are you, are, you well, know, you're buying a brew kettle are you, yeah. what do you need for Koji we might as well go through the steps of making sake since you guys are, are both pretty knowledgeable sure
3: so assuming that everybody listening to this radio knows beer brewing process very well or, so our process is very really similar uh, we do not have a hot side we just do a kind of rice steaming and then everything else is a cold side the big difference is koji making, while koji making for us is more like a malt house, in-house malt house for beer industry. So we have like small malt house to grow ingredients for ourselves. Oh, but that, that koji making is very similar to like a malt making, a little bit shorter, but high temperature, humidity, you know, uh, instead of sprouting uh, barley, beer, we are growing mold on rice. But process is very similar. And we use coged rice in the same way that beer brewers use malt in your system. So when you come in, you, basically you are seeing like very similar to beer brewery.
4: Yeah, we, uh, brewers often say that uh, most of the brewing is actually done in the malt house because we're purchasing malt. Most berries these days, historically, they would make their own malt, but most berries, and some still are making their own malt, but most just purchasing malt from maltsters. And there, you know, you take raw barley or other cereal grains, and you're basically germinating the the seed. It's a seed kernel. And you're letting it grow. It's producing enzymes that we're going to be using later on. Amylase enzymes are the key players here. And then they're stopping it. They're fixing it. They're dehydrating it. And then they're... Preserving the enzymes, this is base malt, and then they're for certain other malts for flavor and color, they're kilning or even drum roasting to get all those colors and flavors. So we're in, in barley and beer production, we're using two amylase enzymes that are produced in the malt house that are convert starch into sugars. So in in sake brewing, they're using a mold, this super mold, koji. That, produce, that produces proteases and amylases, and it produces yeah it, it converts the starch from rice
1: into sh- from. So how sugars. do you get the koji? Do you order it? Do so we get the spores
3: it? of the seed of koji mold from Japan and then we sprinkle the spores on steamed rice and then grow it for 48 hours. So the room is like your bathroom, humid and then warm and we just grow, uh, grow mold and then at the end we have a fluffy, molded rice, like a white, bleached type of texture. Yeah, and then that has all the enzymes that just Pete explained that you need to convert the starch in the rice
4: into the sugar. Sounds like you could do like a dual business where you have like a sauna and then you have a
1: you know, koji. <laughs> <type>. <laughs> Sounds beautiful. Yeah, it sure does. Co- comfy. Man. You got that extra heat
3: going on yeah. too, right? Yeah. And uh, what kind of rice do you use? We use rice from a uh, named Calrose. It's a variety from California. It's a medium grain rice, a hybrid of Japanese native short grain rice to a American native long grain rice. Oh, and then it, chances are that when you go to a sushi restaurant, probably that's the same type of rice. That's that what rice I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah it's not. not is a, it a white rice? What? It's not, not, Uncle Ben's. not Uncle Ben's. No, no, is no. Is it a white rice or a brown rice? It's a white rice, and uh, actually, that's a good point. That one of the big thing in sake making is a rice polishing or rice milling. So brown rice is not milled at all. So it's, you know, husks take away, but it's like 100% intact. And white rice is 90%, meaning 10% of the brownish portion outer layer is milled away. Our sake rice is 90, uh, 60%. So 40% of the outside is polished away because outside has a concentration of protein, ash, fat, those type of things that uh, if fermented can be a source of a flavor, while senta is just a pure starch. Wow. It's yeah, pretty cool.
4: That's what I wanted to get into if we have time. Like, how do you make different styles? How do you differentiate your sake? How, like, for beer, you know, we have a whole palette of malts, we have a whole pallet of hops, we have... Yeast is a big player in the flavor of beer. You know, we have lots of knobs and levers we can pull for different beers, but for sake, it seems so much simpler. It's like rice and koji, but is there water chemistry that comes into it? Like we do, water chemistry is huge for beer. Are there different yeast strains, different koji strains, different there, rice
3: polishes? Yeah, there, there are some, you know, the yeah. dials that we can play with uh, ingredients, but not, it's more subtle compared to the wide range of the beer styles, I think. Because if you go to sake bar, even though you try all the different types of sake, at the end, it's kind it of tastes like sake, right? <laughs> Except for hangover sake, <laughs> as
1: but my it, wife it, calls it. Is that because just, you mean there's
3: not like a really wide range of sake flavors? Maybe just culturally and historically, I guess. like. You know, Japan is a very homogeneous society with the same type of food, while you know, Europe and then U.S. you eat a lot of different stuff, and you know, your your culinary culture is much more wider. So maybe the drink can follow the same path. I guess that's my guess.
1: So sake tastes like sake.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. I'm just getting into it, you know, like
4: and uh one I I do always check the region, like where it's from, the prefecture in Japan, and I have found that I like certain prefectures better than others. But yeah. It's, and then there's like what we're drinking right now is a nigori, so that's cloudy. So that's one difference and maybe you could explain the difference between nigori and junmai and all those other,
1: you know. Yeah, and I, I did I, I got about 15 years ago from an importer I did get a pretty good primer on the, the styles and the regions, but we're also talking about New York's lucky.
3: Yeah. 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 So, you know, there, yes, there are a couple of different styles, like, you know, lager style, you know, IPA type, so that some sake is not filtered, some sake is not pasteurized. The pressing method is a little bit different, but still, you know, it's not as dynamic as beer varieties, like I guess. Oh, we... Talking about the water, yes, New York water is really good, much softer than, you know, U.S. average, and then that works well for our fermentation. Or it's probably softer than Japanese average as well, or, and then it gives you much kind of slower, merrier fermentation for our sake. If you have more kind of harder water, you have more kind of, you know, vigorous fermentation with drier, Stronger sake. Do you uh, adjust the temperature as well? We uh, what what's it? What's the fermentation temperature? Our temperature is uh, 10 C, so that's like 50 Fahrenheit.
1: Yeah, yeah so, so
3: it's, it's, it's
1: lager quite, temp. Yeah, it's a quite low. Yeah. Oh. Uh, wow. Hey, um, Shinobu, we're yeah. actually drinking uh, your sake. Why don't you tell us about this one? And you know, again, like it, it, I, I. I know you have some of your own labels like this Tokubetsu Number Seven. Yeah, you know what? How do we decipher your? Is this like transmitter where there's letters and numbers and? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
3: we just do a very simple English Japanese translation. So we are not making like fancy names or like you know koji kid or anything. But it's. Nigori means, literally means cloudy, so it's a cloudy sake. And Tokubetsu literally means special, so this is a special batch number seven. Yeah, so our, our naming convention is very simple, and then this is intentional because you know you, most of the people are still new to sake, and when you go to a restaurant, if you remember the name Nigori, at least that kind of helps you to pinpoint what you want to order, right? So we kind of want to help our customers to start building a basic vocabulary of sake.
4: I think that's all part of the appeal, you know, to even craft beer and and wine and sake and everything, like learning.
1: Definitely tasting. And what's junmai?
3: Junmai means pure rice. And uh, I'm going into a little bit technical, but some of the sake in Japan, you are allowed to add distilled alcohol yeah, so it's like a fortified sake while jimai means all the fermentation is from the rice wait a minute
1: i can get sake from japan that isn't all from rice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i never knew that yeah, yeah. warning people <laughs> so we should be, we should only be we should only be uh drinking new york made pure rice sakes right? well yeah
3: yeah that's for <laughs> sure but some of the
1: sake i learned quiz. something <laughs> on every damn show armin you know that
3: yeah, it's that's usually what I'm
1: supposed to avoid.
3: Well it's not necessarily bad, although some bad sake is made with added alcohol too. Uh, but pro- that's not necessarily bad either. But can be. That's the, can hang- be. That's the hangover sake, my wife. That's that's the hangover t- sake. <laughs> the cheap stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you know the, we, we spend a lot of time with a cold fermentation to keep the flavor in sake. And that's a volatile or you know, esters. If you add a little bit of the high alcohol at the very end of the fermentation, that helps you to retain the flavor in the final product, and that's a part of the techniques that some mm. people use uh, additional alcohol. The alcohol is a solvent. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we you know
4: we we use temperature for many things, ester production, you know aromatics, but also there's. Fusel alcohols. So, a high temperature fermentation with a sack yeast or something is going to produce these.
0: Those are the hangover
4: alcohols. <laughs> Those are the ones you don't want. Those are in, in, the impurities. So, I guess your range is also a temperating the fusel production, yeah. ester production, just like beer.
3: Yeah, it is.
4: De- it's beer. It's definitely beer. <laughs> like, I, like I, you told me a story yeah. that you had to get a, a wine license in New York State. Yeah, because. Someone from the SLA was at dinner and asked the server, like, is sake beer or wine? And the server told him, it's wine. Yeah. So he's, and like, wine right. is fruit. Yep. It's fruit. There's, it's not starch, it's fruit sugars, you know, grapes. And I guess there's a whole categ- broad category yeah. of wine, but rice is a cereal grain, just like barley and wheat and all the grains that we use in beer. It's beer. So it
1: should be right. beer. So, so h- be how wine. many licensed sake makers are there in New York? Just two? Two and no, Kura becoming and you,
3: Kat- yes, Kedo. and becoming three or maybe has become three because there's a Dassai oh, yeah, it's in a- Hyder Park upstate, and they are bringing a big facility. So Dasai is like a recognized worldwide brand, quite famous that you get at uh, any high-end restaurants. But they are opening a local facility in New York this month. So Peter, that was a yeah, good point. Yeah. So
1: even when you think about the licensing if you're classified as wine versus beer, it can depend on where you can sell it and buy it. So you are on New York State wine license? Yes. Wine so, we, yeah.
3: so we do have a beer brewer, brew, beer brewery license from Federal Government TTB. We have a winery sales license from TTB, And then Winery production license from New York State.
1: Yeah. So yeah. when you, when where can you sell? Can you sell in a wine store? Yeah. Can you sell I in a grocery agree. store? Grocery store, you? yeah, that's a big one.
3: I don't know. I don't think so. But, and you can, but you,
1: then you can sell to restaurants that have a yeah. wine license or a liquor license. Yeah,
3: so usually we don't have any problem selling to the typical customer base that we have. You might have a different excise tax rate, though. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's to, to your benefit. To my benefit. Dude, and I'll also, we can, <laughs> we can do a direct to, direct to consumer shipping without having a COVID exception. So
1: yeah, yeah. I, I will say one thing about New York, which I love is that it, it, it seems like all other craft alcohol licenses have really been reformed in the last 10 years and are pretty good. You know, I, I don't think you're, you're going to be up against too, too many problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything else you want to say about that? Cause we're always big
3: fans of New York state liquor authority. No, really, you know, this, Transition from the old space to the new place was a little bit hmm. yeah. difficult. Yeah, difficult. So, yeah, but to open. transfer the license.
1: And when, yeah. when did you open? Because I've, I've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And we've—I've asked you. I think every two months, Pete. I, I've asked Shino to, to come on yeah. the show, and he's like, "I'm too busy. I'm too yeah. busy. I'm too busy." And, I don't, and you also don't didn't want to tell anyone about it before it was open. So April twenty second
3: was when we opened the door. Because that was when the Troutman Open Street first day. So Troutman Street, they blocked the two blocks, and uh, on the weekend, it's no traffic. So it was a big deal. And we were like, okay, we we need to open by then. So we opened on that day, but we didn't have a legal license. Mm. So we only sold T-shirts. We got the license mailed to our location on Monday (laughs) with a timestamp on the Thursday, so we could have sold, yeah, and then around that time, we didn't have enough production yet, so not we not were that. still, you know, producing at the older space, so we didn't have enough sake, we only have like one sake on top, and then most of the bottles are sold out, so we didn't do like a big opening ceremony or something like that, and then now we are here, so.
1: Oh, Congratulations. Yeah, and you're still you have, you're planning an opening party yes. so with, fa- with a surprise..
3: Yeah. so will you, will you tell parade, us, parade. If
1: you tell us a surprise, actually by the time this is September September, what is today 12th, this probably won't be on the air for a couple of weeks, so you can tell me the surprise. How about that?
3: <laughs> so grand opening will be on October 1st. Yeah October 1st is a wild a day. Oh, somebody, perfect. yeah, somebody decided that all the all to birthdays just sake day. So we will celebrate the Wild Sake Day as a grand opening.
1: We will have that's well, like World Naked Gardening Day. Yeah, it's probably five different sake, days.
3: Yeah. <laughs> drink sake. They, and they hot
1: ran dogs. out of days. There's only
3: 365. <laughs> they got to double them up. I love that World Sake Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have we we we'll have live music. Sumo wrestling. Not small ramen, please. please. Um, Although
1: I, we, I vote, we know I some people small. that are trying to do sumo and ramen in one store, so ramen's good too. Yeah, but Shinobo, I am so happy for you. Thank you. I mean, it Thank was you. four years ago, fall of twenty nineteen. You came on before your opening. You actually were here for our five hundredth episode. We went to, went to your little shop then and drank some really good sake. And think about drinking sake. The myth of sake is that, for me, of course, you know. I came of age in the, whatever, 80s or 90s in New York, and then going to a typical Japanese restaurant was, was the thing to do. It was the date night, and getting hot sake was really cool, but we didn't really know anything about sake, and then it was about 15 or 16 years ago at my old spot, Jimmy's number 43, back when I only had a beer and wine license. I thought, I'll diversify my, my, my drinks menu, because I don't have, like, hard alcohol, and I would I went for sake and I I met some of the great importers. The sake sold out so quickly I didn't even realize it was gone. And what I'm trying to say about the sake category is that when you only have a wine and beer license, it's a great way to diversify. to have beer, some wine and cider, but you can have sake. But the minute I got my full alcohol license, forget it. Sake just disappeared and vodka was the king. Mm. So I'm like I'm a fan of these rest for you guys opening places. Restaurant and restaurant wine licenses is beer and wine, including cider in New York State. It's a great license for a restaurant. It's a really great way if you care about your food and, and, the, and the products on your list. But you can also serve sake on that. So with a restaurant wine license, this is my little lesson to, to you, new, op- new operators. You can serve wine, beer, sake, and cider. And just those four categories alone, you, you will never touch the surface of just how good your drinks menu can be. And then I've actually found, I'm not anti-alcohol and I love, I love New York State Spirits. But the minute you get full alcohol on, the person that walks in saying, I want a vodka soda, when you don't have an alcohol, a full alcohol license, your staff has to say, well, you know what? We've got these really interesting beers. Why don't you taste these? Or we have cider as well. Or we have sake as well. Something that's a little different. But the minute you have full alcohol, the person comes in asking for a vodka soda. Or a, what what the vodka cocktail is, or any other cocktail, suddenly you're giving up your entire beer program, or sake program, or cider program, I and mean, it's a different way of thinking of things. But having I had places in New York for 25 years, and but each time that I that I got the full, I went from restaurant wine license to, to a full liquor license. I have to say that the the core of my business actually didn't get better, you know, and it's just it became an easy sell for the staff. To give that person a vodka soda. As only an example, but I'm trying to say, the sake. If you have a restaurant wine license, which is easy to get, and you have some food, go ahead, get some sake,
3: buy more sake. Am I am I being (laughs) radical?
1: Is that crazy that I said that? That that makes sense. Not to me. Yeah. Yeah.
4: My introduction to sake was probably at a you know, a Japanese restaurant, and it might have been. Not the best quality sake. I think in this country back in the day, because I'm not young, um, I think a lot of the sake that you would get at these, you know, not high end Japanese restaurants was what my wife calls hangover sake, and it's probably fortified with really cheap. You know. well, you're, you're also
1: you're married to a Japanese. Person. Yeah, yes. alcohol, and uh, and you've been to Japan. Yeah,
4: and so I thought I didn't I didn't like sake forever. I wanted to like it. And then when I finally had some good sake, it just, you know, blew my hair back. I was like, whoa, this is yeah, I I love it now. I you know, think about sake.
1: about sake and just last I'm gonna finish my rant, but it has to be good. There's the, the like I said, with all the options available for drinks, if you're gonna pick sake, that's why I'm that's why I keep using this example of a vodka soda. That's kind of like when you go there's an unfortunately guys, wake up because there's a lot of bars and restaurants where there's not really a lot of good choices for, for the beer or other things. So a vodka soda or a vodka safe, tonic yeah. or a tequila and soda tonic is, is a safe bet because you're going to get something that you know. But when you're talking sake, if you're going to offer sake, and you're in New York City in particular, there's a range of not only really good importers, there's there's producers like Shinobu at Kato Sake Works, where you can get a, a well-made product locally made that that probably is better for you too, right? I don't I you can't you guys can't talk about the health benefits of alcohol, but you know what? It always keeps coming up. I've doctor friends, friends of mine have said, you know, when you run a race, you're gonna you're gonna drink Gatorade because it restores electrolytes. But actually the original (laughs) message was that beer was the model for restoring electrolytes. So let's talk about how good your sake can be for us in our world. Because what's the alcohol content of of the sake that we're drinking,
3: sixteen percent. Yeah, that's, a, that's
1: something I want
4: to
3: ask you. What's the range of alcohol, especially with these fortified ones? Like, how? Where does it go? The fortified ones still around sixteen percent because they uh, add more alcohol. They uh, water back. Less less expensive rice and more mm-hmm. grain alcohol. We're talking
1: about yours. You're fine. Yeah, yours. locally made.
3: Yeah. So this one's. 16%. And then how else
1: can we like? How? What are adjectives we can use? Are you an art, artisanal? Are you a small craft. batch craft, craft still matters. Are you are a craft sake maker,
4: I
3: think so. Yeah, right. What do you yeah. think? How, would, we you, how would you describe?
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. By definition, but how do you describe your business? Like a small sake, just a small sake. local blue
3: alley, like local.
4: Maybe that's the norm yeah. in Japan. There's a whole range, there's big ones and small ones. Yeah,
3: yeah, but I think in Japan, sake blue alley is more like a beer blue alley here, so that there's a lot of local. Small, ones body, small ones, loved by the neighborhood, but you don't know them a local un- unless you go there. Yeah. you know, you can get the distribution in like a few states, maybe, but I think it's it used to be like that in Japan. Nowadays, maybe you can access to any any sake if you go to Tokyo.
1: So is that is that your experience? Is that you're so when you opened when you wanted to make sake in New York, you were thinking of these. L- having local small sake brewery like you used to have in japan
3: yeah yeah because i love go to local breweries and wineries. that's fun thing to explore the neighborhood and uh, i did the same thing back in japan you know every time i travel i find the local sake breweries and then you know have, have some fun oh sake is still like mystified or like intimidated by people here you know just because it's. So far away, you know. Yeah,
1: be... and it's like, how do you serve it? Do you have to have the yeah, waterfall? Do have to in hot? a fancy jacket, mm-hmm. you have to have the waterfall and the square wooden cup, or do you have hot sake or cold? Yeah, how do how do you determine if it needs to be hot
3: or cold? Are yours all cold or some hot? My my usual answer is it's a personal preference. Try it. So don't yeah don't don't get dictated by your sommelier or whoever who tells you whatever they want to say, but today's hot so i want to have my nice, sake like, cold do,
1: do you actually serve your
3: sake's hot yeah Tapa, would, and yeah. the tapper uh, we uh-huh. haven't tried it yet but but for interview. yourself
1: your preference mm-hmm. when and which sake's would you serve warm and
3: how would you warm it
1: that's the other question you're oh. not pouring hot water in it like water a tea.
3: water bath is a proper way or not the right way not you know not the right answer but it's easy answer is microwave it works. It works. <laughs> I didn't expect
1: that. Why? Yeah. Because you have a stomach ache and you want some warm sake?
3: Warm sake helps because, you know, in the kind of Eastern medicine, the body temperature and, the you know, drink temperature and those kind of things. But also, it does not give your, you know, temperature differences that good. And then, you know, New York winter is so cold. It's nice to have a cup of warm sake in your hand, right? The old, like, what people would say
4: about, you know, again talking about this my introduction to sake is like cheap sake is hot because it's really bad if it's cold but that's not the case like i went to a a dinner and shinomo was in this the one after us it's called okan right maybe Mm -hmm. you can explain the sticker on my phone from this dinner and Mm -hmm. there was this guy who does he's a chef from japan he came and he does this whole multi-course dinner and he pairs it with hot sake and they're very they're at different temperatures he has different like ceramic, tin, different glass, different uh, vessels that he's heating the sake in and different ways of heating it. It's like, it gets very complicated. But, <laughs> Wait, what's um, it called? <laughs> what? Oh, Maybe o-kan. I'm going to let Shinobu o-kan. explain o-kan. this. How do you spell
3: O-K-A-N. A-N. But a K-A-N is a verb to warm up sake. Uh-huh. Yeah, so okan is a kind of polite way to say that. So this, this, this would be
1: more exciting for people than just... Trying to have a cannabis dinner, I could have an Okan mm-hmm. sake dinner. That's what I want, man. It was awesome. I want, I want to hear really about the good. stories of you guys going deep with your boutique craft, whatever we call it anymore, specialty beverages and food, because that's what this whole life's about, man. Right? Yeah. Have you, you, know? you
4: Have you done any like sake and, and you know
3: food tastings or dinners anywhere or anything like that? We haven't that done that yet, but we'd love to. And if we are doing we wanna do a little bit, you know. Pete, do you cook dish. too? I do. Yeah.
1: I know you're very detail oriented and yeah. so what what well, let's just let's go back to this one. Let's do some pairings because pairings is a new frontier for every beverage. That's good. So this is a Nagori sake made in Bushwick. All right. It's if
3: delicious. you were
1: gonna construct a little menu or a dish, probably a simple dish, what would you make You're at home enjoying this nagori? It's probably almost quarter of six I would just play it a safe I'd
4: play it safe and go with some you know Japanese fare like would you make some eggs and
1: vegetables
4: or? uh no maybe like a I don't know what do you think an udon a noodle did you, know, you? in summertime like a cold udon plate or something
3: yeah yeah also you know because I'm gonna this-
4: I'm gonna I'm gonna bump this one over into-
3: you glued smash burger when I visited you yeah, yeah. back the other day. Yeah. So you bad goes with a burger. Okay. So, so he burger wants American sake. food. Yeah. Pete wants
1: Japanese food. Yeah. No,
4: I'm, I'm a notorious burger <laughs> fiend. So uh and thin patty. I'm a thin patty guy, FYI. Um and yeah, sake goes with lots of things. Yeah. Right? I wasn't yeah. gonna say that, but on the I, air. I you different a Smash Burger. I think I think and this be, this sake, I said beer. Is delicious. It, it drinks itself. It's dangerous. Yeah. Slippery.
1: Well, salute that's to that. To so, that. Uh, Shinobu, before we take a break, because we're going to take a short break, do you have ambitions? Like what are the ambitions for the new Kadozaki facility on Troutman Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn? Will there be food? Will there be pop-ups?
3: We'll have pop-ups. We'll have. Will there be message. okonomiyaki? No, none no. of the. Uh, you know, uh, you know, food crazy is somebody else's food. specialties. You know, we are good at maybe a little bit good at making sake, but nothing else. So that's. You know we ask for somebody else to take care
1: yeah oh. what if i wanted to come one day and peter and i would cook some rice with you're there and you'll have like like yeah. seven mushroom rice Yep. you'll like. have endless oh. flow of sake so, yeah
4: yeah endless you, it's on the air you've all heard it i can do it man we're gonna
3: show up <laughs> but you endless have this flow
1: i do cook every you day have, you have now. to
3: feed all our staff it's easy for me. <laughs> That's you know. And it's time of our, our stuff are like gluten free and vegan. So, oh.
1: Well, then you tell me the base. Mm-hmm. I will say this. Shout out about that. Whether you're drinking sake or you're vegan free. My first restaurant in the 1990s. It's time for me to talk about it myself, right? Um, because sake makes me happy and a good good craft locally made beverage is, is, is my favorite thing in the world. Then my first restaurant, I opened it up. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did know about food and I know how to make a little bit of food. And I had some customers that said they're a vegan, and I I went to my Italian you know pantry, and I was like, great, I have a corn polenta, you know, and I, over time I, I got polenta that was that was grown, the corn was grown and milled upstate, and simple things and vegetables, and 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 Excellent. it's like I can I can cook this way. In fact, I grew up this way. People used to say peasant food that was cool, but it is, but it's not even peasant food. It's luxury food. If you're getting fresh exactly. vegetables, <laughs> now, and it, other now things, there's nuts. It's And the older people get, it's like, you know what? I can have a simple menu of nuts and other things that provide protein. I don't need a processed vegan meat. I'm really ranting today, but you know what it is? It's being with you guys and and the, the joy of being back at the Heritage Radio Network studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. So we're going to take a short break, and my buddy Armin is the engineer now. So big thanks to everybody. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
2: Woo! Woo! Korin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Korin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information,
1: visit Corin.com Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. This is our 14th season of Beer Sessions Radio, probably the 15th year of uh, Heritage Radio Network here at the studio at Roberta's in Bushwick. And I just want to say, support us, become a member, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate uh, there's a lot of great things happening out of this space and on the online heritage dot network.org. So, we're talking about sake. Uh, back in 2019, our friend Shinobu Katu of uh, kato Sake Works opened nearby in Bushwick his first small sake facility. And we went there on our 500th episode way back in fall of 2019. Well, here he's back with us now in 2023. He's recently opened a newer, bigger facility. On Troutman Street in Bushwick, so so Shinova, welcome back, and our good friend Pete Lengo, a great New York City brewer, who's who's uh, been very aware of science fermenting and things from the beginning, and we're really happy to have you back as well, Pete. So thanks. We um, were here. drinking sake. We we went through this wonderful bottle of the Nagori sake. We talked a little about sake. I think we can still talk more about sake and food pairings and everything because the hardest part of, of everything that you do when you have a restaurant. When, when you're making a meal at home, it's really finding quality ingredients and, and quality beverages, you know, and I think the number one for this show has been about, you know, we're going to talk about quality products without being expensive. You know, we're, we don't have to be the most, we don't have to talk about caviar. We don't have to talk about champagne. There's so many things that are locally made that I've recently found in the last few years that there's small farms that, that happen to grow beets and onions and and Incorporating just a simple locally grown in the Northeast, a beet and an onion into my diet makes me not even want to get a beet or a onion from a supermarket anymore because it, it, it's about the, the the process. Why should something be made that is going to be meant to be kept in cold storage for a long time and sit on a, a supermarket shelf? You know. And I'm not like a proselytizer or anything, but I actually in my daily life, I should let my listeners know I care about what I eat and drink. And the number one thing, as Pete was saying before, is that there's there's the bad hangover drink and there's the OK Fuzzy hangover. And I've, I learned that years ago. It's like if it's well made from quality ingredients and usually small, I think small batch does matter because you you you, you have to pay attention to the details then. Is, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Why is a small batch product less likely to give me a, a headache or a bad hangover? Than a large mass-produced product.
4: Well, it's yeah, it's about quality and execution, not 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 just ingredients, but it's execution. You know, like um, like he was talking, like Shinobu was talking about with the uh, with the fortified sakes. If it's a if it's a really low price point mass-produced thing, they might be using some pretty crappy. You know alcohol to put in there, then it's got and a nice, lot of... I can't
1: believe that... Yeah. So some Japanese sakis have I'm not, adulterated their product with... Yeah, we call it adulterated, alcohol. which
4: sounds bad. Uh, <laughs> and, and sometimes it is bad. Um, but... And maybe you it can not more it's,
3: because it's cheaper.
4: It, yeah, there. Are, well, there's a whole range, you know, but um, it doesn't mean just because it's fortified that it's bad. But it
1: can be. And, <laughs> and it also damages bad. your image. If you think that yeah. sake is cheap, it's going to be heated because it doesn't taste good. You know, maybe that sake does have adulterated alcohol in it. You yeah, know? maybe
4: they heat it so they can volatize off some of <laughs> those like nasty, you know, higher alcohols. But, um,
1: yeah. but we're not we're not talking about being at Shinobu's house and having him gently heat in the microwave.
4: No, no. <laughs> gently microwaving <laughs> it.
1: No, that that dinner that we went to, that
4: you know Shinobu was at too, like it was Okan. Yeah, O'Connor Ocon. So next time, I'm going to invite you. Very cool, um, If I get invited myself. But um, yeah, I told you. He he did, he did he had different types of materials because of the heat transfer coefficient. And he did it in different ways. He did water bath. And he did a flame one. He did like, it's, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole on that you stuff. You know, Pete,
1: but- many of our listeners, and going back for years, they'd be like, if they're in New York or they're not in New York, when they come to New York, they want to go to these insider things. So now, definitely, everyone come to New York. You got to check out Kato Saki Works on Tree. But for, for Pete, how do you find out about the Okan, these specialty sake dinners? Yeah, because I want to go to those. How did you find out about that? So
4: I don't even it, remember. Was it. it through we have a mutual friend Yuki who oh, works for? Do you have to be Japanese? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but um, my wife is. But we have a, a mutual friend who works for a restaurateur from Japan, he has five restaurants here, and he brought these guys in from Japan, and, they, and he did it at one of his restaurants, is, you know, pretty, it was just for like a weekend, yeah. so pretty ex- exclusive, Excuse. sounds kind of snobby, but it was, it was just a small thing, but it was amazing. It was like, I'll never forget it. It was a great meal, and the people were awesome. That chef right. has a restaurant
3: in Tokyo. So if yeah, you go yeah. to Tokyo, you can do you it can in do Tokyo. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, but, what, what's different about like the way people drink and eat in Japan than here? Like, I remember I, I have some friends who were in New York. They're from Japan. There's something in some of the Japanese pubs It's like a, a salted, soy salted fish. So, that these types of snacks that would be at a. a, a I, I know what you're
3: pub. talking about. Yeah. What, what, what is that called? What's it called? You don't know. Niboshi, maybe. Yeah, like a small fish with a like a small dried fish that Definitely you. Can and they gave Definitely me a whole salted.
1: selection. I, and, instead and of I, peanuts. Yeah, but I ate so much of it that my I dried my stomach dried up. dry. <laughs> you dehydrated <laughs> your stomach. Yeah, but instead of having yeah instead of peanuts, I had I had these salted, yeah. soy salted fish that were. Brilliant. And did you make you drink a lot of sake? I, I think it was beer in that time. <laughs> yes, but.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, but I would. But in Japan, people drink sake in the same way that you drink beer and wine here. Yeah,
4: so, I did. <laughs> right?
3: Yeah. So there's no, like, any special elevated status for sake. Sake is just a drink. It's the local... Just a local yeah. drink. And it's casual. Of course, you know, everybody had has experiences bad hangover sake when they... It's are, just like yeah, beer. There's hangover that. beer, too. Right. And then, eventually, you go to... Yeah, You know, crap, small, bad.
1: You know, but why is that different? I mean, it's obvious to us now, but when you're younger, because I think about younger people, which is the future of our industry, I start out, I drink a lot, and I get a bad hangover. Mm. One day I try something doesn't give me a bad hangover. What's the difference? And do you think about that when you make your sake? Because it's not health. I can't say that any alcohol is healthy, but a better made product can actually be healthy.
3: Yeah, I might guess, I never worked in a large commercial facility, but there's a lot of way to make more money. Not cutting corners, but like cutting corners and doing things that's not... That's probably a little bit different from eating good food and a good drink kind of thing but still you know that's okay I think those are the things that make you hungover. I guess
4: yeah I, I like it,
3: fermentation temperature like where exactly yeah. that's it so
4: fermentation um, in a brewery and a sake brewery anywhere that you're producing the your fermentation tanks the vessels that you're fermenting in that's the usual bottleneck. And fermentation time is gonna tie up those tanks. That's why most craft breweries are doing ales historically, because they're done in two to three weeks. And loggers should take at least six weeks. So it ties it's it ties up your fermentation. So it's it's really limiting your ability to produce and your revenue. Doing loggers versus ales. So that's why so craft the guys taking
1: Really doing it right with lagers that took months and months, they Are, go out of business. They, well,
4: if they planned it right, like we were talking about in the beginning of this, like if they have the right equipment and the right you know, size equipment and a and the quantity, they're fine. But um, Jack Sabby comes to mind. But um, <clears throat> uh, So, one way to kind of alleviate that stress on your production is to raise the fermentation temperature so things will go faster. It's a chemical reaction. It's not exactly, but when you increase the temperature in any chemical reaction, it increases the, the rate. So in fermentation, you increase the temperature, you're going to ferment it faster. And you'll get that beer out of the tank quicker, but you will produce more fusel alcohols. That's the hangover alcohols. So that is, is what Shinobo was saying, the same thing I'm saying. Will you also I get off,
1: off flavors if you it, increase yeah, the temperature? Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, if you go too far... Um, Fusils are really harsh, really harsh. And in, in spirits, there's with a the cheap distillation, there's, they're called the congeners. And they're, you know, I'm not the expert there, but they're, <laughs> when you have a, a really rough kind of, you know, distilled spirit, that's, that's, that's also maybe their cuts, it gets a little complicated, but it's probably like, yeah, they're just doing things faster and cheaper and taking more of the product. That they should be for when people distill, they, the the really good stuff is called the hearts. But if you're extending the hearts a little back, forward, and beyond for the tails and the foreshots, shots, yeah. um, you're going to get a hangover. And if that's the stuff that you're putting into your fortified sake, <clears throat> then they're going to get a hangover. I understand your, your people. So yeah, you're not so.
1: when when if someone's making a, a larger production sake and they're adding this alcohol, you may not know cheap alcohol. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, but Pete, just since we're talking, because it's great to see you, man. Yeah. I know you insane. have a kid who's over three years <laughs> old now. And man. you have a 21-year-old. My daughter's 21, but yeah, I'm still young. young. Yeah. But um, your journey of brewing, and I know we've talked about it before, but just to our new listeners who may not know, yeah. when did you first brew your batch, first batch of beer? In my in my kitchen. How old were you? How am I now? now how old were you when you first oh, brewed uh, a batch of beer? Um,
4: I uh, must've been, uh, 30, 36 years old, I guess. Oh yeah. I'm not good at math.
1: <laughs> but you had a, you know, a science background. Yeah. A yeah. I was, I was working so yeah. in a lab at the time. You
3: yeah. are on, in a movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a home brew New York home blue Earth What is that movie, movie called? I don't Which? remember, but I watched that documentary.
4: There's a documentary about beer in New York. And
3: uh, um, I see your apartment, and you were doing we, we were making
4: a beer in my apartment. Funny thing is, my assistant home brewer at the time was Al Duval, who's the head brewer for oh, Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn Brewery, <laughs> <laughs> and he was there stirring my mash. He's an amazing brewer, he's been brewing for maybe 30 years in New York. He's an awesome brewer.
1: But I think he's also a folk musician. He is, he is.
4: Yeah, is his a banjo, yes, sir. yeah. Well, he hung up his banjo, he refuses to play it again. Yeah. In fact, he hung up one of his banjos in my apartment. <laughs> and I'm like, Banjo Man Brewing, you got to start a brewery called Banjo Man Brewing. Bring back the banjo, I keep telling him. I told him that last week.
1: But he has to throw up a pete. On that note, like, is, you know, this is really fun and all that. There's so much we can talk about, yeah. all these things. But let's give a shout out to Al Duvall. I mean, Al Duvall is a, uh, a legend. been working in breweries in New York a long time. Um, Shinobu, last one for you. So, again, I want to go back to this health thing because I'm trying to, as our industry changes and grows, to talk about the difference. You know, there's a price point on, let's say, mass-produced alcohol, and there's a price point on smaller-produced alcohol. And I don't think the word craft has to matter. I think that it's about the size of the production and the care that's put into it. So, if people are taking shortcuts on some larger production products, you know, Tell us what you're doing. Let's 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 let. I want to hear about why Kato sake. What we just drank was so good, really and good. the funny, the hardest part of anything like for me, as a longtime taster in 1992, I was a, took a sommelier class, that's how I got into this. And I just went from this really soft, beautiful sake to, to a nice, like, perky Hefeweizen from Rockaway, which now I'm digging too, however the transition's tough. Yeah. You know, and and when I've, I've always been like, when I find something I like, I want to keep drinking your sake. We drink it all. And now now I'm on the Pete's the Rockaway Hebevites, and I want to keep drinking that. Mm-hmm. So how do I, how do you capture your customer and not lose them? Because there's, there's so many choices available.
3: That's true. That's true. Well, we are not doing great on the marketing was sales side, but, but maybe because we are just, you know, Everybody in working at our space is mostly on the gut,
4: Just focusing Focus on the, and making pro- as much as you can. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, we Right now, we are not at the stage of doing something creative or fun, but we are just, we've been, for the past three, four years, we've been doing everything on the textbook in a way that textbook is written. So our goal at this point is to make the same quality of sake consistently, to the customer to the level that you know oh, we can we can supply to all the demands and then we are not doing anything creative or fancy at our current kind of space yeah i
4: think i i i think the opposite i think <laughs> as you said subtle like that's it <coughs> to me sake brewing is like lager brewing so it kind of shrinks the playing field down from ales and lagers and everything like Lager brewing is very subtle too, and but you can really flex your your
1: your, Pete, your brewing. Let's finish nourish. with that. Yeah. How is lager brewing subtle, and how do you make a good lager versus a pappy lager? Time. So you You got to take your
4: time. You got to do it right. Um, cold fermentation means, as we said earlier, it's very slow. So you got to have a right proper pitch of yeast. You got to have quality ingredients. There's nothing to hide behind in a lager. Like, in an IPA, there's a little, there's a little room to, for error because the hops are showcasing themselves and kind of hiding everything behind the scenes. But lager brewing has to be done right. For the brewers, when they make a good lager,
1: they get respect. All right. know what else do you drink
3: besides your own sake? I drink sake, beer. I, I, I drink anything. You know, I'm not a hablika hard, person, so I usually drink sake, beer, wine.
1: And your fa- your favorite, okay, favorite sake and food pairing in New York City doesn't have to be a restaurant, but what we had just now, the the sake. What? Is, you're hungry. I'm hungry now. I'm so hungry now. What cheeseburger. should I? He's yeah. gonna say cheeseburger. You said cheeseburger, Pete, because you're always thinking cheeseburger. No, but he said it. Pete I did, likes I a did. thin patty cheeseburger. That's right. I like I like my own. I make a skillet with bacon fat. Whoa. Smashburger. Oh, that's cheesy. You, you throw a little bit of onions in and sear yes. them together. Shinobu, what would you like to pair your nigori sake with?
3: I would go with Nobelta's pizza because I'm trying to my second back to the Robert's menu <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go in there whether we're, we're here work, now it would work it actually would i work.
1: forgot we're at roberta's pizza we're gonna have some pizza and then pete with this nice did you make this half a Weizen from rockaway so you are brewing at rockaway yeah we know you as a great brewer in new york and uh everyone has their journey congratulations man okay. but so this is a, i love this half of Weizen. this
4: half a Weizen is like a a long lost style that's Suddenly coming back. Like I know Grimm's making one. We've been making one. Brooklyn discontinued theirs, but I'll bet they'll bring it back because it was a great beer. Um, but uh, it's it's a yeast forward beer. It's yeast driven. It's such a simple beer, but they're delicious. They're amazing. Um, and it's it's like it's like ska music. I burned out on it in the eighties and now I'm like I can listen to it again. I think, I think that I should
1: one day tell everyone what, what the first Beerless was at Jimmy's Number Forty Three in two thousand and five because there's probably a half I, on there. Well, we had we had we had two pilsners, one of which was a Belgian pils because people asked for Stella, and we had we had two wheats. One was a half of Weizen from Germany. Nice. The other was a Belgian wit.
4: Oh, excellent!
1: And then we had a other range of, of beers, and the IPAs might have been two lines as well emerging American IPAs. Yeah. So I want to say half a Weizen, I can drink it, and also last thing about food and beer pairing being having been asked years ago many years ago by some food writers what should we pair with this and that wild salmon or something and i and i my go-to was german Weizen or that style is probably in general and and i, I can speak in blanket statements <laughs> it's generally a very food friendly beer definitely yeah so once again we had some great and this of ice is from Rockway that Pete pruned. And we're going to eat some pizza at Roberta's. Hey, man, Roberta's Pizza, we still love you, and we're here. So thanks so much, Armin Spengen, our engineer. We had Shinobu and Pete. Thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. It's so great being back in the studio, Roberta's Pizza. All right. Woo! Thank you. Yeah, buddy. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast.